Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 129 of the Hollywood in Toto podcast, The Right Take on Entertainment. This week we're talking with Scott Johnston, the author of a new satirical novel, Campus Land. Yes, that's exactly what you expect from that title, and trust me, those woke universities had it coming. I've been a fan of Ricky Gervais in recent months, and it has nothing to do with his comedy or his stand-up or anything about his talent, per se. Few stars fight as hard against PC culture as Gervais, and for that reason alone, I don't give a darn about his political leanings. Yeah, he's a lefty, but I care about the bigger picture here. Now, two of his fellow left-of-center comics are sounding the alarm about woke culture, and their names might surprise you. Sarah Silverman made headlines recently when she revealed how she lost a really cool movie gig for appearing in blackface more than a decade ago. Did it matter that she repeatedly apologized for that particular incident? Of course not. Did it matter that uh, she's trying to describe bigotry in her culture through that episode? Of course not. She got canceled anyway. It sounds like she's furious, and I don't blame her. She should be. And then there's Jim Gaffigan. The country's premier clean comic shared his frustrations with film critics, I guess that means me, during a chat on the Joe Rogan experience recently. Now, Gaffigan wasn't displaying a thin skin about bad reviews, mind you. He showed how some critics raked his recent film, Being Frank, over those proverbial coals for not adhering to Identity Politics 101. Again, he sounded really angry about the whole situation, even if he tried to downplay his frustrations. Now, conservatives have been blowing the whistle on cancel culture for a while now. Silverman and Gaffigan stayed on the sidelines up until very recently. But now, as both are suffering as a direct result of this toxic culture, now they're speaking out. Well, good. They shouldn't stay silent anymore. We need their voices in the fight against identity politics, the scourge of our age. Of course, this doesn't mean Silverman and Gaffigan have been changed in any real way. Silverman, if you look at her Twitter feed, is hardcore liberal like she was the day before. Gaffigan told Joe Rogan he's a lefty too. But the more liberals who get pulled over by the PC police, the better the chances of the rest of us have of defeating this poisonous movement together. You know what this is? A commercial? Right, and you know what that means. <gasps> Time for a snack? Wrong. I want you to do some heart-healthy exercise. Yes, you! Try some seated leg extensions right now. Just lift each leg up and extend it straight one at a time, six to eight times. I can do that. Yes, you can. Remember, every commercial is a chance to sneak in heart-healthy activity. Visit findexerciseanywhere.com and speak with your doctor to learn more about the risks of heart failure. Now here's the tweet of the week. This week's winner is Piper Perabo. Who? Oh, come on. She's been in Coyote Ugly, Covert Affairs. I think she's even got a role in that new Angel Has Fallen, which comes out this month. She's busy, but not too busy to marinate in mainstream media lies. Am I right? Here, she's displaying either pure ignorance or an ability to believe the distortions ladled out by our fraudulent press. Here we go. 
I stand with Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar against racist intimidation by the President of the United States. Trump is teaming up with a foreign government to punish members of the U.S. Congress on the basis of his own slander. When will we hold him accountable? Hashtag impeach. Is that impeach hashtag pre-installed in every actor's smartphone at this point? Political Spirits, the weekly conservative podcast that says the left and right should have a few drinks and talk. The only podcast that intersperses commentary with the sound of pouring alcohol. Host Franklin Rye, an experienced governmental affairs professional, offers analysis, commentary, and conservative solutions mixed in with amusing anecdotes about the sausage-making process. Ever wonder how democracy is like a Chevy Suburban? Did the Beatles really write conservative songs? How a Democrat politician is like the Archelians in Men in Black? Add to that occasional historical episodes with a patriotic bent, kept at 30 minutes or less, perfect for a commute, and you have a podcast recipe to serve conservatives, political news and opinion junkies, and those who just wonder how on earth we reached the point where so many in our country think patriotism is a dirty word. Please join us at Political Spirits, that's politicalspirits.libsyn.com, or on Twitter at Franklin Rye. This week's hit tip of the week is The Boys. Yeah, I hate that title too. It's a new Amazon series based on the edgy comic book of the same name, so I guess they couldn't change it. The show follows a group of corporate superheroes who aren't as kind-hearted and decent as they appear. That's being generous. They're stone-cold killers. They'll just destroy anyone in their way. Now, the boys in the title, they're a group of vigilantes who are out to stop these super-duper phonies. Now, I've only seen the first few episodes of the season one. There's already been approved a season two, so that's on the way. But so far, it's a pretty impressive take on the shop-worn superhero saga. I mean, I know we've seen a million of these movies. We'll see a million more. I'm not technically burned out, but I'm also ready, willing, and able to see kind of a spin on the old superhero template. And this is certainly that. I think my head was spinning by the time I watched the end of Subchapter 2. Now, it is very dark at times. You look at the rating on the particular episodes. It's nudity, it's violence, you name it, it's in there. It almost feels like it's trying too hard to be as gritty as it is. But again, that premise is really rock solid, and the cast sells it. One of the surprises for me is I don't think I've seen this actor before, Jack Quaid. If the name sounds familiar, it should. He's the son of Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan. Their marriage didn't last, but they produced a pretty good actor. And it's funny, if you look at his face, Jack Quaid's face, you can see elements of both stars there. I think from the, the nose down, it's all Dennis, and from the, the uh, nose up, it's Meg Ryan. But uh, he's pretty good here. It's playing a, he's playing a character who's a bit of a nebbish, who's getting kind of coming into his own as he's realizing he has to help fight these superheroes, and uh, I'm impressed. Now, like I said, there's a second season already on the way, maybe a few months before we see it, but I recommend you give season one of the boys a try. A quick heads up, the fifth episode supposedly packs a lot of anti-faith elements in the story. It's par for the course in Hollywood these days, and maybe we shouldn't be too surprised, but I just want to let people know before they see it. Maybe they'll want to steer away from it. It's certainly up to them. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. The absolute insanity swirling around college campuses today is crying out for satire. Now, the folks on late-night TV, well, they're sleeping on the job. They have no interest in making fun of this. Stand-up comics, not many of them tackle this topic particular. Saturday Night Live, oh, they are steering clear of anything close to a college campus. What a shame. Enter Scott Johnston. 
Now, Scott isn't a comedian, nor is he a not-ready-for-prime-time player. He's a businessman and an entrepreneur who's had enough about those headlines regarding campus culture, and he decided to do something about it. His new book, Campus Land, is his response, and it's beautifully written and so close to reality, you think you're reading some breaking news. The funny part is, as he describes in this upcoming interview, he wrote this a while ago, but boy, it just seems so pertinent, so fresh, so real. Maybe that's a bad thing, but it's certainly a credit to his writing. Scott shares how the book's premise came to be, trying to pitch it to different agents, and also why he thinks the modern college campus is beyond repair. It's pretty depressing, but I think he's onto something. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Campusland author Scott Johnston. Well, Scott, you know, I often ask authors what inspired their latest book, and it's pretty obvious what what hit home for you here with Campusland. But was there a particular incident that really kind of made you rush to the uh, the word processor or the laptop or whatever authors use these days? Well, there were a couple. Okay. Um, the first was um, about oh three or three and a half years ago. I went to a one day symposium at Yale on the future of free speech, and uh, 200 students showed up and physically tried to shut the conference down. Uh, now there was a lot of security and they were prevented from doing it. But, uh, as I walked out through this sort of phalanx of angry shouting kids, uh, and someone was actually spit on too, and they were swearing at us. It was, it was unbelievable. I, I, I started wondering why hasn't anyone used, I mean, campuses are, are essentially going crazy culturally speaking. And why hasn't anyone used this for a satiric novel, you know, sort of given it the Tom Wolfe treatment? And yes, Tom Wolfe wrote I Am Charles Simmons, but that was about 14 years ago. It was really about hookup culture. And 14 years ago was a million years ago culturally. So that's when the idea um, germinated. But I, I honestly didn't know anything about writing fiction. It was not on my bucket list to write a novel. Um, and I didn't do much with the idea. Uh, Toni Morrison said, and I only learned this last week when she died, she said, you know, if there's a book out there you want to read and hasn't been written, you should write it yourself. Well, I didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so fast forward to my college reunion, uh, which was also at Yale, and I'm holding the door open one evening for uh, an undergraduate girl, um, and she stops dead in her tracks and accuses me of patriarchy for holding the door open for her. And I, I said, I, I thought I was just being nice. <laughs> and my mother would be very upset if if I walked through that door first. So we had a standoff that lasted, uh, I think, about a minute. And um, I think her principles um, yielded to boredom before mine did. Um, so that's essentially the moment I decided that I was going to figure out how to write a novel. <laughs> I, I, I love it and I hate it at the same time because that is that is where we are. It's funny because I have two young sons and I drill into them every opportunity. Hold the door open for anyone who's behind you. It's just what you do. And of course, they're, they're slow in the uptake there, but they'll get it. But uh, that's not even a feminist thing to me. That's just like common courtesy, but often that's that puts you in the crosshairs. Uh, you know, you've got this idea. The inspiration is all over the country. At the same time, it almost strikes me as a hard nut to crack from a satirical point of view because it is so over the top at times. Was that was that a struggle when you first started writing the book that, hey, I'm, I'm writing stuff that sounds crazy, but that's the way it really is. Do I ramp it up? Do I kind of underplay it? Was, was there sort of a, a, 
I think I think the book works beautifully, but was there a moment early on where you struggle with the tone? Because it seems like this is really hard to capture. Well, you raised an interesting uh, point on several levels. I, I knew right off the bat that satirizing something that was already self-satirical was a unique challenge. Um, and there have been um, and some people who said, you know, some early reviewers of the book who said, well, this is, um, you know, obviously an exaggeration. Well, really, it isn't. Um, there's there's nothing in the book that's exaggerated, uh, uh, you know, until the, the climax of the book. Essentially, everything was taken directly from from real life, you know, things that are really happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so and one concern I had, you know, I, I finished writing this about a year and a half ago. It takes a while for big publishers to uh, to take something and get it to market. Um, so I was worried about, honestly, the the culture like running past me during that time, like sort of antiquating my book before it could even get to market. Um, and I'll give you one small example. Um, I, I use the word woke in the book and I put, um, I put quotation marks around it. And if I were writing that today, I wouldn't put quotation marks around woke. I would put, it's probably in the Oxford English dictionary. Interesting point. By the way, reading the book, it feels like it was written yesterday or the day before. So it doesn't have anything that's dusty about it, which is both uh, good on you, but also maybe sad on the culture at large. Uh, I don't want to get in the weeds as far as, you know, there's always, authors always struggle to get agents and get publication rights and get the ball rolling. Given the material at hand, did you struggle with getting the the deal approved or or did it work kind of fairly easily by writing standards? Well, it, it, it's sort of a funny story. I, I wrote it first, and initially I was writing it to amuse myself. Um, and I finished it, and I thought, you know, I had a couple couple friends read it, and then I got the notion that, you know, maybe it wasn't so bad. Um, and I read everywhere you had to find an agent. Well, I didn't know how to find an agent, and I, but, I, you know, there's lots of advice on the Internet. And they say, go to all these agency websites and find the agent that looks like he's looking for your particular book. Well, you know, practically every agent these days seems like they're looking for LGBT memoirs. And I, at least this is not my industry. Um, I did send it to one that I had met. You're supposed to send something called a query letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I sent a query letter to one agent that I happened to meet, just a sort of friend of a friend of a friend. And I, three weeks later, I got back an email that said, I don't think I want to read this. <laughs> <laughs> But Sorry. at the same time, um, uh, and there are going to be a lot of people who don't want to read it. Um, at the same time, uh, I did have uh, one, there was one person I knew from uh, college who was in the publishing industry, exactly one. And I thought she, you know, I, I hadn't seen her in a while. You know, I sort of see her at reunions. And uh, so she's a senior editor at St. Martin's. So I sent it to her and I, in, in the hopes that she would point me to an agent because all the websites of the publishers say, don't do not send us anything. We won't look at it. We won't return it. Blah, blah. And um, uh, so I sent it to her and two weeks later, um, St. Martin's bought it. So it hmm. uh, to be pretty easy. <laughs> By the way, I, I'm not your uh, marketing agent, but maybe on the second printing, you should have a quote from that one agent. I don't even want to read this. <laughs> I think that says it all. Uh, let's, let's, before we get into some of the elements of the book, uh, do you do extensive research? You kind of had a sense of what's going on. Anything that you found during your research that was intriguing, above and beyond maybe the obvious stuff? Just maybe just give us a quick peek at that, at that process. 
Well, I did do a lot of research into uh, Title IX and what Title IX has become. Uh, and it's become this just, you know, multi-headed monster. Uh, and most people still think of Title IX as something to sort of even out sports teams in colleges. Mm-hmm. And that was really the initial uh, intent of it and the initial effect. But uh, it's become something much, much, much more. Uh, the Obama the Education Department sent out this letter called the Dear Colleague Letter, which has become infamous um, that basically mandated that, uh, colleges round up all these sexual predators that are apparently out there. Um, and, uh, it, it, it's been misused. It lowered the, the standards of evidence and due process. And I'm sure you've heard stories about how boys get thrown out of colleges just on the basis of an accusation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that happens a lot. A lot. There are currently 500 lawsuits from those boys against the various colleges that, that have railroaded them out. And, you know, you know, perhaps in some cases they did do things. But in a whole lot of cases, the, the accusations are false. Um, and, you know, they even use Title IX as a verb now, as in, if you break up with me, I will Title IX you. Um, so a lot of the a lot of girls know it's a weapon they can use. And they use it. And unfortunately, it it takes away. I mean, I have a college age daughter. These things concern me. But all this nonsense around it is taking away time and money and resources from the cases that might actually have some merit. So I I did a lot of research into that. And if if you read Campus Land, you'll come away understanding how it works. But um, I actually make it funny. (laughs) (laughs) That you do. Uh, I was kind of curious, you know, some of the characters here, when you first read them, they kind of feel like archetypes. Uh, you know, it, the the main character is pronounced F E P H. F yeah, Ephraim. Yeah, F. But that's sort of what he goes by in the in the book. Yeah. He's a liberal guy, but he wrestles with a lot of kind of a common sense uh, capability within him. And Lulu just seems like a Kardashian wannabe, but she has layers and she's interesting. It, was it sort of part of your mission here? Is that you were going to touch on things we instantly recognize, but at the same time make it unexpected uh, just as a storyteller like maybe you can kind of well Lula kind of marriage between uh, a Kardashian and um, you know, a New York socialite mm-hmm. wanted it girl um, you know a, 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 there was someone named Tinsley Mortimer for you know so you know and someone like that and uh, she almost came to life a little bit in the, the college admission scandal um, that uh, I forget the girl's name out at USC who uh, was angry at her movie star parents. Um, they ruined her Instagram career. Right, right. <laughs> so I'm like, my goodness, that's Lulu. I mean, that's a, that was a dumber version of Lulu. My Lulu is actually quite clever and smart. Yeah. Um, uh, F, um, F is sort of, I'd like to think F is sort of a nuanced character because he, I mean, the setting is Devon University, which is essentially an Ivy League stand-in. And F is from the, the deep South. He's from rural Alabama. So he's a cultural outsider. Um, but he desperately wants to leave Alabama behind. He liked nothing about his roots and he doesn't want to be stereotyped by all his liberal, liberal friends at Devon, uh, as being from, you know, gun toting, uh, pickup driving, Trump voting deep South. Um, so he's sort of, he's reinvented himself. He's a very smart guy. He teaches 19th century English literature and he's up for tenure. 
and he, he essentially tries to keep his background a secret because uh, he just doesn't he doesn't want to be the cultural explainer, the uh, the hillbilly elegy guy who has to who has to tell everyone what it's really like down there around Trump people. Um, so, you know, and he's a good liberal like everyone in the bubble. And he desperately wants to stay in the bubble because it's a very pleasant place. You know, I've been in the bubble. I was I, I went to Yale and I was an adjunct professor there. It's a really pleasant place to be. Um, so that, that's the sort of setup of that character, but he, because he's from the outside, there, there are landmines that, you know, waiting for him that he's completely ill-prepared for. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you writ- you wrote this about a year and a half ago and it's coming out right now. It's available actually as we speak. Are there things you would change about it? Cause like I said before, it feels very of the moment, but uh, I'm sure every artist is always wanting to go back and tweak something. Even George Lucas has you know, sadly done that with the Star Wars trilogy. Do you, do you wish you could add more things? You wish you could take something away? I mean, you don't have to get specific. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil the story, but I'm just, as a storyteller, covering a tropic, topic that's moving so quickly, is there sort of a, a, a wish that you could sort of maybe go back and, and noodle around? You know, that happens frequently, I'm told, in, in the artistic process, once you're done with it, you know, you, you want to go back and... I'm pretty damn happy with it. Um... I, I, I think I made all the points I wanted to make and in as entertaining way as possible. And um, I, um, I think, you know, there might be a little bit of a cultural moment here because we're about to go back to school, everybody. And uh, uh, all this stuff is going to heat up again. And the craziness is just, you know, just keeps getting worse. I mean, one, one school banned the use of the word manhole the other day. I think you have to call it street hole. Um, you know, it's just... Stuff is so patently silly, but it's also dangerous because there are implications to broader society, and that's already happening. Yeah, I think what's happening now is that you can't say certain words in the political realm, and I think it's sort of uh, distracting us from bigger issues. One of the terms I, I noticed right away was first year, which you use instead of freshman. Do you know if that's actually in play now? I was, it, it, it felt so authentic. I thought maybe it's happening across the country. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I certainly drew on my alma mater for a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a few places as crazy as Yale. Um, and uh, they, they are first years there. Okay. Uh, and, and they have banned the use of the word master. So the houses there, which they call colleges, are everyone has a master. And the idea is, you know, you're the master of the house. Mm-hmm. It's, the, you're, the, it's a very old English uh, tradition, you know, in the sense that you've mastered something like, like a master's degree. Um, but they've banned the use of the word and they call the masters now head of house because somebody might be confused and think it refers to slave masters. Now, presumably Yale is taking kids smart enough to know that words have multiple meanings. Um, and, and that one of these has nothing to do with the other, but nonetheless, they did it. Yeah. You, you, you said that the reviews are just starting to kind of come in for the book, and I've read a lot. Of, I've read a few that were very positive. I was kind of curious, outlets like uh, that are left-leaning seem like they'd find this radioactive to be kind, and I'm not criticizing the book. I'm just criticizing the reality we live in. Have you gotten any sort of surprising reaction so far? I got a very nice uh, audio review from uh, NPR, which shocked me. Um, and... Um, uh, you know, people will be interesting because there's actually a character in the book, and you probably haven't reached this this point in the book yet. But one of the characters is is looking at People magazine, and he refers to it as 
hideous treacle. And people, people is apparently going, they, they are apparently going to review the book. So I hope they <laughs> look up the meaning of treacle. Um, uh, so I don't know what to expect. I, I'm, I'm going to have a, a lot of haters uh, because, I mean, one of the central plot lines here is uh, someone who's falsely accused of um, sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I almost hate to say this, but yes, I, I make it funny. Um, but that alone is going to drive some people over the edge. So I'm kind of anticipating people descending on Amazon and who haven't even read it and just giving me one star and you know, I might even get doxxed. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, the one thing that I think we're kind of even dancing around, which is a central part of the book, is fear. The fear that exists on campus, the fear that you can't defend yourself, the fear that you can't <coughs> express a point of view. And I think that is ultimately what's going on with, you know, Mario Lopez had to apologize because he said that he didn't think three-year-olds were capable of deciding their gender. And, you know, that sounds absurd that anyone would even doubt that, but he had to kind of scramble with an apology within 24 hours. And the fear that your characters face in Campus Land is palpable. Uh, just talk a little bit about that, because that's, you know, I know this is funny, I know it's satire, I know it's of the moment, but we're living in scary times. And, and uh, you know, and the main character, if he could get dragged down or potentially attacked, any of us can. Uh, you raise an extremely important and serious issue. So on college campuses, um, you know, I know a lot of college kids. I have two, two myself. Um, college conservatives uh, live underground existences in, in, in school right now because they absolutely know if they speak up in class, they'll be, they'll be penalized with, with bad grades. That com- totally happens now. Uh, I mean, the professors were liberal in my day, but they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's changed. Um, and also you might get ostracized, uh, by your fellow students and even, you know, worse. Uh, I mean, I could go on about a bunch of incidents that, you know, been absolutely horrible. Um, and, but even in broader society, uh, you know, you mentioned Mario Lopez, um, but, you know, corporations have been essentially, um, mow-mowed into silence and, uh, you know, towing the line, uh, all these crazy college social justice warriors, you know, they graduate and they take over the human resource departments and they take over foundations and they certainly dominate the Twitter sphere, which, um, gives them a, an outsized voice. And I know people who have businesses who will not speak up if they're Trump supporters because they're afraid of vengeance upon their business. Of course, this just happened in the last couple of days with soul cycle. Um, here on the East Coast, um, you know, it was found out that the owner of the business, the, the company that owns SoulCycle, uh, threw a fundraiser for Trump and all of a sudden the boycott started. And um, you can't have the wrong pr- political opinion these days or the mob comes after you. Uh, and the mob is um, magnified by social media. So uh, now I'm, I'm <laughs> a friend of mine who's actually also a famous author. Um, someone I went to college with, you know, read an advanced copy of my book and emailed me and said, are, are, are you ready for them to attack your business? Mm. And, you know, fortunately I'd sold my business. So <laughs> I, I, I'm in a freer position than most yeah. to yeah. be writing this book, but I, um, I fully anticipate an onslaught of some kind. And I think the only, uh, good news in that situation is that the justice 
sort of the outrage mob, if they want to come after you, they'll be distracted in a week and a half to another target. So if, heaven forbid, they, they do sort of target you, they may, they may switch gears and, you know, when something else misspeaks. But uh, uh, one last question, Scott. Uh, doing your research, seeing the book come out, being a part of this process, is there any hope, uh, a palpable hope that things are turning the corner, that people are just getting fed up with this, that there's a frustration that everything we've discussed is just that it's crossed the line that needs to be, that you have to kind of, someone's got to stand up. Is there any sense in your, in your perspective on that? So within the context of, of, of college, I hate to say if the answer is no, um, I don't think there's any saving modern American universities. They are fully taken over, uh, both, you know, the students, the administration, the, um, uh, the, the boards are all, cowed. Um, I, I actually have a friend who's working on a, a, a model to, he's working on the numbers right now to raise money to start a de novo university that um, wouldn't do all this nonsense. It, you know, it would have a, a 20% of the administrative staff. It would have no majors that end in the word studies, you know, no, no oppression <laughs> studies. Um, it would offer uh, you know, tuition and you know, maybe $40,000, $45,000 instead of $75,000. Um, and, you know, em emphasize on rigorous academics, you know, sort of the way college used to be in America. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I don't I, I and a number of other people come to the conclusion that um, our campuses are too far gone to be saved from the inside. And I wish I thought otherwise. Wow. I, I don't think you uh, say that lightly, by the way. So that's uh, that's dispiriting. But uh, it's funny. The uh, I've been doing a lot of work with a movie called No Safe Spaces, and that doesn't come out until the fall, a few weeks away. But uh I almost like you have companion pieces here, that particular documentary, which looks at free speech on colleges and then campus land, which is a more fictional, more satirical, but uh, they're, they're two pieces of an important puzzle that uh, I, you have to read it and you have to watch the movie when it comes to theater. So, uh, but Scott, thank you so much for joining the show. Scott's new book, of course, is Campus Land. It's the satirical skewering that higher education has been begging for, and now it's here. Available right now on Amazon.com and other book dealers, of course. Scott, I, I congratulations on the book. It's terrific. And uh, I, I will be uh, beating the drum about it for the next few weeks, I promise. Uh, I, I thank you very much. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details. This episode is sponsored by schwans.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details.